0: Welcome to the Milestone Church podcast. We're in our fall series called Live Well. As we look at biblical principles together, this series will help equip you to live well through the challenges we all face in life. All right, man, it is so exciting to be with you guys here at Milestone Church. I also wanna welcome those uh, that are joining us online. How many of y'all excited to be in church? Come on, Sunday morning, early crowd. (laughs) Excited to be here. We we love coming to Milestone Church. I wanna thank Pastor Steve for that warm introduction. And uh, it's wonderful. We've been journeying with your pastor, uh, Pastor Jeff, for 20 years, he and Brandy, Jennifer and I. And uh, we love Pastor Jeff. And I often say this, he's not only the smartest pastor I know, but the funniest. And uh, we just love hanging out, talking a lot. And I wanna just say how proud I am of you guys as a church. And uh, we had our, the, you got the board meeting yesterday and I know some of our great, see Mr. Ed, one of the great board men here at the church. And uh, it's exciting. It is so exciting to hear all that God is doing uh, at Milestone Church. I want to thank you as well for those of you that have been giving to the Beyond Campaign. How many of y'all are excited that God is blessing this church so much that it needs to expand? Come on. How many of y'all are excited about that? Man, it is awesome. So We want to just say again, uh, we're thrilled to be here. And Pastor Jeff has been in a series. And uh, I watched it this week as I was preparing my message. I thought, you know, I wanted to be able to see where you guys are. And it's how to live well. And it's interesting some of the topics, again, some of the very practical topics that the Bible addresses. And how how to overcome stress. Again, all of us deal with stress. How how to walk through transition and some of the relational issues and tensions uh, that we all deal with. And I just thought it'd be appropriate in this message that one of the things that we often don't think about in this whole context of living well, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I know every single one of you want to live well. You want to have a life that honors God, but you also want to make a difference with your life and make an impact. And by the way, you want to finish well. See, part of finishing well is living well, that you don't cross the finish line all just, just beat up and bruised, but you actually go into eternity and you receive that God gave Paul, he says, there's a crown stored up for you. See, I wanna live well so that I can finish well. But one of the things that we often don't consider in this whole context of living in the here and now is that we don't live in just one realm. I want everybody to tune in what I'm about to say. We don't live in just one realm. We, we have one foot solidly planted in what I call a natural realm, an earthly realm. The Bible talks about it. We got up this morning and, Either came to church or those of you, again, if it was Monday, going to work, most of the majority of people would be going to work unless you're retired and, and the kids would be going to school. So there's the, there's the, the waking up, there's the getting out of bed, there's, there's, there's all the different dynamics related to the natural realm. And we become proficient at that. We we become well apt to our environments and we we learn how to do that better and better. By the way, the Bible actually talks about the practical dimensions of living well in the natural realm. But one of the areas that I think that we often, what I would say that we don't appropriately consider is that we don't just live in one realm. While our feet are solidly planted in this natural realm, the Bible says, by the way, the Bible says, That we are also solidly planted in a spiritual realm. There's a spiritual realm that surrounds us. It doesn't matter if somebody's an atheist, somebody doesn't believe in God, if they're an agnostic, they're not sure, if they're a Christian that's not aware, or if they're an on-fire Christian, it doesn't matter who you are, every single one of us are daily living, listen, impacted by the natural realm, but also by a spiritual realm. I want to talk to you today about how to live well in the spiritual realm, that there is a cosmic, listen, there is a spiritual dynamic that's happening and actually there is also a warfare attached to that. I remember when I got saved 30 years ago, there was a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare and I loved it and I I just, I I thought it was so healthy as a young believer that yes, we love Christ and we trust Christ and what he did on the cross, but there's also, listen, in Greek plays, there's an antagonist and there's a protagonist. A protagonist is the word pro is for. There is somebody for you. How many are grateful that God is for you? We believe the Bible teaches that. God is for you, who can be against you? But there's an antagonist. And the antagonist, the Bible talks about is Satan himself, the adversary. So we are in this battle in the here and now. I know that it's often not spoken about it, that present day church world, again, pastor teaches about it, pastor Jeff does a great job, but there is a real devil. And we are in a warfare with the devil. Matter of fact, it's funny, I, was, I heard this story once about this mom, and she had this real radical little kid, and, and just, just, she's just an excited little boy and hyperactive, and of course, I can relate to that, and the, I was born in Des Moines, Iowa, grew up in New Orleans, but I was so hyperactive as a kid. I mean, they did things in the They did things to me in school that people would go to jail for today. Stick the kid under the desk, we can't control him. How many of y'all remember getting stuck under the desk? Don't raise your hand, but anyway. Today, there's a lawsuit. I'm like, put the kid in the closet. I God, he can't shut up, but anyway. So I, I, I was kind of like this kid, but this mom was dealing with their hyperactive son. And man, he's just so hyperactive. She said, listen, you can't wander off and play in other people's yards all day long. You can't do that. You got to stay in our yard. And she goes, well, mama, I just, you know, I just, I'm playing in our yard and the devil gets behind and the devil just whispers to me and he tempts me, mama. And so I just get tempted and I just, I just fall for it. She said, well, listen, when Satan comes to tempt you, here's what you need to say. You need to say, get behind me what? Come on, say it. Satan. You need to say, get behind me, Satan. Well, the little boy was just so excited, just couldn't stop. it. so the mom says, I'm going to just, I'm going to kind of help out in the natural realm. I'm going to actually put a fence around our house. So she put a fence around the house. One Sunday afternoon, she's looking over there and the little boy had cut a hole through the fence and he's also in the neighbor's yard again. She said, Johnny, come back in here. What did I tell you? Listen, what did I tell you to say when you're tempted by the devil to go into your neighbor's yard? Well, mommy, you told me, that to say to the devil, get behind me, Satan. And I did that. Well, then what happened? Well, he pushed me right through the hole of the fence. My <laughs> now that's funny, but how many of you know that our lives are being pushed around by the enemy sometimes and God doesn't want it? We're allowing the enemy to come into our lives and just kind of go free course. We just kind of come in there, put bitterness in our heart, put resentment in our heart, put judgment in our heart torment our lives, let spirits of lust, all this stuff, just get us all. How many of you know that we can really, according to scripture, say, get behind me, Satan, and the devil really does need to obey? The Bible says that we are in a warfare. Second Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read a scripture that I'll base this message on today. Second Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and here's what he says. Second Corinthians chapter 10, he says, for though we live in the world, natural world, everyone say natural world. We're not denying that at all we live in a natural world he says but we do not wage war as the world does he says for the christian for the christian we live in the world a natural world and a spiritual world but we do not wage war as the world does the weapons whoa what's he talking about the weapons i thought christianity was about loving jesus it is but you're in a warfare there's a battle the weapons that we fight with, wait, time out. I thought we came to Christ. It's like, man, we come to Jesus. We trust Jesus for our salvation. Our name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Our, we eternally we're secure with God. And, and, and now you're talking about, Paul, you're talking about weapons and warfare and fighting. Well, he says the weapons that we fight with, they're not the weapons of the world. So as believers, Paul begins to demonstrate for us scripturally. He begins to say, listen, guys, to the church of Corinth, you, you guys are in a warfare. And you can't, listen, you can't press exit button. You can't get out of here. You can't just say, well, I don't want to be involved in that. No, 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 no. We're in it whether we like it or not. The issue is do we understand it? Are we equipped and are we winning? Paul says we are in a battle. I love the Apostle Paul. I'm actually teaching through the book of Philippians right now, and it's a fantastic book, four chapters, one of the most practical books in the New Testament. I love it. Paul wrote the book of Philippians in prison. Matter of fact, there was a number of books that he wrote, letters actually, to different churches while he was in prison. The book of Ephesians is one of those books that he was in prison, writing back to the church in Ephesus. And here's what he talks about. I'm outlining for you guys and I'm highlighting, listen, Christianity is we love God. We're forgiven of our sins. We have a relationship with Jesus and listen, and we're going to heaven and not the alternative, which is not a good thing. But even though we're not going to hell, how many know God doesn't want you to live in hell on the earth while you're here? That we can, listen, we can live victorious. Doesn't mean that we're exempt from trials. Doesn't mean we're exempt from pain. Doesn't mean we're exempt from tribulation, but we do not have to succumb to the strategies of the enemy. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter six, I'm outlining and building a case. Ephesians chapter six says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. Our strength doesn't come from our own personality. It's funny, my my daughter, she just graduated from college. And so she came home one day. She goes, dad, she goes, listen, you are an eight on the Enneagram. I'm a what? Well, you're an eight. I said, well, well, tell me what that means. She goes, well, you can have to sit right down. So she started just explaining basically who I am. It doesn't matter what God says, but what does the Enneagram say? <laughs> you ever have somebody kind of come and evaluate you, you know, based on that, you know, on the Myers-Briggs, you know, on the disc analysis, on that. Y'all remember when you used to like go to God? She goes, well, you're an eight on the Enneagram. That means that you respond to me this way, and can I get a sheet to tell me how to respond to you? I'd like to know that. Paul says, listen, your strength against the enemy doesn't come because you're a type A. It does not because you're a D personality. Your strength, listen, listen, it, the, the strength of your personality is inconsequential related to spiritual warfare. Has nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, I, the enemy can reduce that. Listen, <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. He says, finally, my brethren, you're not strong because you're an eight on the Enneagram. You're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on. So there's a proactive nature to spiritual warfare. Put on. Wow, pastor, there's a fight. There's a warfare. There's an adversary. And now you're te- now, now Paul's telling me, I got to put on something. I, I, I received Jesus. Yeah, but you got to put on something. Well, I gotta put on the armor of God that I may be able to stand against the wiles. I wanna pause right there. The word wiles in the Greek, it's translated in English, actually better, strategy. Strategy. I believe that God has a plan for our lives. Matter of fact, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands. Every single one of us, as Christ followers, we'd raise our hand. We believe that God has a plan for our lives. We believe that. But let me just say this respectfully the enemy also has a plan for your life to wound you, to harm you, to abuse you, and to keep you, listen, to keep you uneducated scripturally about how to fight against him. The Bible says very clearly there's a strategy. The enemy has a strategy. Isn't it, doesn't it blow your mind that you guys, listen, that all of us sometimes keep going through the exact same temptation? Isn't it interesting the very thing that we go to work and we think that we finally have gotten rid of that person, whoever that person is, that would torment us until we get to the next place and that exact person, is like they transferred with us. I mean, they have a different name, different face, but it's the same person. Are y'all with me? Isn't it interesting that that besetting sin that you're always trying to deal with, you're always trying to overcome it, it seems like it just pops up every decade in your life. Isn't it a reason? Yeah, because there's a strategy. Are y'all with me? And Paul says we are not to be ignorant, we are to be wise, spiritually speaking, of the strategies of the enemy. Satan has a strategy, we need to be aware of the strategy. It's interesting, when I became a Christian, I became a Christian, I was a freshman at Tulane University, And, uh, and, and I, my, my parents, some of you guys have heard my story before. My parents prayed for me for just years to get saved, you know, and, and my mom, I was on every prayer list in America. Literally I was, my mom would go, you know, she'd stop people in grocery store. Are you a Christian? You know, can you pray for my son? He's a heathen. I'm with her. I'm like, mom, you shouldn't say that in front of me, but you are, you need to know that, you know? Literally, I was on everybody's prayer list. Matter of fact, I, was, I wouldn't even go into the living room because my mom, you know, Christian television, You know, she'd send $10 to some evangelist. Would you pray for my heathen son? There's a young man, he's in New Orleans. He's a heathen. Your mom just sent me money, I'm praying for you. Literally, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking. I'm literally not joking about this. So my mom would routinely tell me, you know, the people in the church would tell me, well, finally. By the way, I tell people this, if your mom is a Christian, spirit-filled, born again, loves Christ, and you're not saved, listen, and she's praying for you, just give up. You can't even enjoy your sin. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? If you got a praying mom or a grandma, I'll put her in that slot. Either one, either one. Finally, I get saved. I'm 19 years old, I'm a freshman in college, I get born again at a college Bible study. What's crazy is, now I'm partying in the French Quarter, acting like just, just nuts, all right? Serving the devil. And, and, uh, and, 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 and by the way, You can serve the devil and not worship the devil. Are you with me? People that don't know Christ are not worshiping Jesus. Are you all with me? If you're not a Christian living for yourself, you're not living for God. You're living for another one. And so I'm in the French court. I'm just living crazy. I get saved. This is nuts. I get saved about three months into my walk with Jesus. And all of a sudden at nighttime, one night, there's this overwhelming fear that comes on me. And I literally feel like I'm going to die. Not physiologically like I'm going to have a heart attack, but I was so scared I thought somebody's in the room. And I was was tormented by a literal demonic spirit of fear. This is my first encounter with spiritual warfare. I was so scared. I was so scared for nine months I slept with the lights on. Now remember this. I'm in the French Quarter four months before parting. I'm now saved and I'm in my room scared. Why is that? Because now I've become a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Before I was on the enemy's team. Now I'm on God's team. Are you all with me? So, so you, some of you think, well, man, why does all this happen to me? Well, you, you've switched jerseys. Are you with me? You took off the Cowboys. Now you're part of the Saints. I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> whoa, 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 pastor. Is y'all spirit clean towards me this weekend? I just thought I'd just share that. <laughs> Get back to the Bible, but anyway. The enemy wanted to come torment me. Now, I'm gonna finish the message. I'm gonna talk about how, how we overcame that. But, but there's a real battle that we're in as Christians, a real battle. Paul said, verse 13 of Ephesians 6, for we wrestle not, listen, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Watch this, everybody look at me. You think your problem's against your spouse. Well, I just, I just get, you know. You think your problem's against your boss. Well, I just get it. Yeah, but at some point, in time we have to realize all of these challenges. It's not Paul says our trouble, our challenge is not against flesh and blood. Sure, we have to have interpersonal relationship skills. Sure, we also have to have crucial conversations with people. Of course, but there's another realm that's influencing our lives. It's another realm that's manipulating culture manipulating society, manipulating governmental structures. Paul talks about it. He says, so there's a wrestling match that's going on, but it's not against flesh and blood. That's the problem. We gotta get our eyes off of people. Yeah. If either one of the people, if this is a person. No, 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 there's another, there's another thing at play here. Well, our war's against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Paul says, listen, there's another battle against a spiritually spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly place pastor this is wild i thought i mean this is all about serving christ and being a christian the blood of jesus my name's i mean i mean now you're this is like this this warfare that's going on. i didn't realize that well you're in it could it be could it be could it be that some of the challenges that you're dealing with that you think are in the natural realm could it be that the origination of them are not of the natural it's actually in the spiritual realm because here's what i found out you can't defeat spiritual entities with natural strategies You need to have spiritual strategies to defeat spiritual beings. Are y'all with me? So I want to talk to you. I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you three concepts about spiritual warfare, and then I'm going to just going to briefly touch on some things. i hope hoping to whet your appetite that you'll study more. Let me give you three truths about spiritual warfare. Number one, this is important. You are not alone in your battles. You have to understand that. You and I, as a Christian, we are never, ever alone. In fact, there's an interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 6. It tells the story of the nation of Israel. They're at war with the king of Armand. And it's interesting that, that the prophet Elisha, is in dialogue with this young man. And watch what happens. I'm talking about, listen, number one, principle number one, spiritual warfare. You're not alone in your battles. You've gotta understand what's happening, all right? Watch this, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, alas, watch this, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He's like, what are you talking about? There's a literal army, all right, that's invading the people of God. There's a literal army. Not figuratively speaking, the first concept is there's a literal thing. He sees it. But then the prophet of God, because he walks with God, gave him a perspective check. How many of you know that that, that sometimes we need a perspective check? We get so ensconced and entrenched in our natural role. We forget that there's spiritual things that are happening around us. We forget that it's like I got to go to work. We got the kids. We got soccer. We forget. We forget what's going on. This is one of the first principles of spiritual warfare. And Elisha said, "Wait, time out, time out, time out. Okay." All right, let me pray a prayer. All right, just hang on, hang on. Because there are legitimately in the natural realm, the circumstances, listen, are perceived to be overwhelming perception. They are, they're, they're in the natural realm. It looks like you, we are in bad shape, but let me do a perspective check. This is a spiritual perspective check. Here it is, watch this. Verse 17, Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray, open his eyes. That's my prayer for you guys today. Open your eyes. Why? That they may see then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, what did he see? Now he's looking outside of the natural realm. This is a perspective check for all of us here. And behold, some of you are gonna realize, ah, that problem that I'm having with that person, I'm realizing there's something behind it. There's something that's going on that's manipulating our relationships because we keep going down that same trail and there's, a, there's something happening. Well, there is. Lord opened the eyes of the young man. Lord, the the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses. Now, this is not in the natural. He saw a picture into the spiritual realm. And he said, Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. What did the Lord do? He opened the servant's eyes and he saw God's angelic army and the spiritual forces of heaven aligned on his behalf. What if we were in a work situation, a family, a financial, whatever situation we're in, what if our eyes could be open and we realize there's more for us than against us? How would our perspective shift? We wouldn't cower and just, a, but there would be a holy boldness, not because of the strength and the bravado of our type A personality, but because of the reality of the unseen realm working on our behalf. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, there's a lot more for us than against us. Number one, you're not alone in your battles. Number two, your prayers are far more powerful than you realize, they're far more powerful. Your prayers, well, I prayed about it, nothing really happened. Well, what farmer plants a seed one time and nothing happens? You plant it, then you water it, and you till it in and and, and the ground, and you, and, you, and you stay at it. Then there's a power of pay. Every time you pray, listen, every time a born-again Christian with the Holy Spirit on the inside, every one of us that Christ follows, the Spirit of God comes to live in your heart. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're forgiven, forgiven of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God's in your heart, God hears your prayers. But there's things that are shifting. Listen, sometimes immediately you see the answer, but God heard your prayers. God heard your prayers. Matter of fact, if you look in the book of Acts, you don't have to open to it, but, but, but the church was, they were gaining understanding of the power of prayer in the spiritual realm. Matter of fact, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, you can read about it. the first Christian martyr, Stephen, actually the second Christian martyr, Acts chapter 11, his name was James. By the way, my mom called me, your name is Stephen James. That's my name. I thought, I hope that's not prophetic, but anyway, Stephen James. The third person that was potentially martyred was Peter. Church is wise enough. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every time our people go to jail for preaching the gospel, they get killed. Or Wait, 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 wait. Acts chapter 11, let's pray about it. Lord, I'm just praying that you would deliver Peter, God, that you would do something on his behalf. Next thing you know, an angel shows up. An angel opens the door. Peter's like, what's up? The angel's like, some of your people praying. God sent me. To open that thing your prayers are a lot more powerful than you realize my mom prayed for me my grandma people prayed for me they're a lot more powerful so why do we give up the spiritual listen there's things that are shifting the moment we pray our first prayer well there's an enemy he doesn't like that but the bible says your prayers are more powerful than him James chapter 5, verse 16, the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Well, what does the enemy want to do? Let me give you three quick strategies of the enemy. Number one, what does the enemy do? Why does he want to get you to back off from church, back off from reading the Bible, back off from prayer, back off from understanding this concept? Why? Because there's three things he does. Number one, let me give you just a little strategy. Let's expose the strategy of the enemy. I played for a great high school football team and and, and on Saturdays we would watch the film of the opponents. Now we didn't spend all week on that. We stayed on our offensive strategy, but part of understanding our offensive strategy is understanding the defensive strategy. Are y'all with me? So let's look at the defensive strategy of our opponent. All right, here it is. Number one, what is the first thing the devil wants to do? Well, he wants to blind the minds of the unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.4, four. Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Do you guys remember what it was like before you were a Christian? All the confusion, you might like, well, the blood, the cross, resurrection, didn't make sense. I mean, are you serious? Really? Are you talking to somebody that's not a Christian? Like, And their minds are distracted. They're all over the place. I remember I, as a kid, brought to church, and even as a young man, even in, in the beginning of college, before I was a Christian, was like, this thing this said makes sense. I mean, I know there's a God up there somewhere but my mind would get distracted. And you know how people's minds get distracted in church. Oh, well, what's going on? You know, ooh, how many likes on my Instagram? Ooh, you know, okay, wait, oh, you know, who's playing? Okay, we got to, we got when are they going to get all this traffic done? Ooh, you know, and, uh, next thing you know, Pastor Jeff's preaching and it's just, it, it is powerful and the whole thing. And you just, minds go all over the place. Well, the enemy wants to distract you. That's what he wants to do. Number one, he tries to blind the mind of the unbeliever tries to mess up our thought process. Number two, he wants to steal the God's word from you. This is in the Bible. This is, listen, I'm giving you now the strategy of our opponent so that you can prevail in spiritual warfare. He tries to rob you of God's word. For example, how many different times in our lives you've heard something about God, you've read something, get fired up, only to have the enthusiasm wane the next day? You're inspired by Pastor Jeff, you go out there, you get in the car, and you're like, and you just forget about it. You know, what was it? Oh, that was great. What are you talking about? I can't remember. That's why we got to hide the word in our heart. That's why we need to go over it and saturate our minds. The Bible says this Matthew chapter 13. If the enemy can get, listen, you make a decision, Pastor Jeff, in January, we're going to read the Bible, we're going to pray, we're going to cry out to God. Just January 2020 is going to be a new year, 2020 vision. You get up, you know, like, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible, you know, you, say, you get the Bible, you get there at four o'clock in the morning, you know, because somebody told you if you pray that early, the next thing you know, you wake up at nine. <laughs> you fell asleep right there. Read your Bible, you know, phones, everything, oh, email, oh, I, you know, next thing you know, you know. But we have intentionality reading a car magazine more than the Bible. Why? Because the enemy wants to come steal that. That's what the Bible says. Look what he says. Look, Matthew, when, the, and when anyone hears the word inspired by Pastor Jeff and they don't really get it because they've not really gone deeper, they've not meditated all. That's why podcasts are important. You ought to listen to the messages two or three times, by the way. He says, well, the enemy just wants, the wicked one comes and tries to snatch the word that was sown in your heart. Wow. Just boom. Number one. So what does he want? He wants to blind the minds of the unbeliever. Keep sowing the seed to your neighbors. Keep sowing the seed to your kids. Keep sowing the seed to uh, the to, to lost people that you're working with or in the culture and community. Number, number two, he wants to steal that word that's sown. Number three, he wants to set traps to entrap you. We're talking about the strategies of our opponent. You know, it's interesting. My grandma just died a couple years ago, <clears throat> 99 years old. She's born in 1917. A Cajun lady, my mom's mom. Just, I mean, just tough as nails, just Cajun. And she just, and she, as a matter of fact, she was so tough, at 92, we had to tell her she could not cut her lawn anymore with an electric lawnmower. I'm serious, she'd cut her own lawn, well, I can do it, she'd just run over the cord, get electrocuted, just keep going. <laughs> I'm serious, I'm not joking, she'd, go, oh, it just was, it just, she'd just keep going. Just for years, you know, and like, Grandma, you can't do that. She'd get on the gutter, you know, thing, try to clean her gutters, you know, finally just like, she wouldn't go in a nursing, she's just tough, she was so tough. Matter of fact, she was, in her, as a kid, she was born in 1917 and cut off Louisiana. I mean, French, no English, nothing. And before school, they, this is what she would do. She was a trapper. She would go and trap mink and muskrats in the bayous and the marshes of South Louisiana. That's what she did before school. So my mom, it's crazy, she gave my mom one of her traps so she had a trap. My mom had this wall, all this stuff, you know, just like, like this trap, different things. It was kind of like, seriously, it looked like Cracker Barrel. And just, I mean, it's like, Mom, that's like Cracker Barrel. How many of y'all get nervous you got a Cracker Barrel? You know, you're sitting under a horse castorator eating a biscuit. I like, you know, what is behind me? You know what I'm talking about? I'm just being honest. It's like, ah, you know, feel violated. Well, my mom had like a little Cracker Barrel wall. And so there was this trap on the Cracker Barrel wall. And so my brother and I would get it down and we would like set it and it's serious. You know, we put sticks in. it's like, you know, and he tried to set it one day for me to walk in. And thank God I saw it. I mean, seriously, snap your leg, you know, just, you know, just there it is, Steve just stuck. And I began to think about the traps that people set for animals, but how the enemy tries to set traps for us. We have that temptation, and then we and, and, and then we, and then we, 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 see there's a trap where the enemy wants us to fall prey to the trap that brings us back into the temptation. And then the sin pattern. I remember when I gave my heart to Christ, 19 years old, freshman in college, and man, my friends would call me, hey, come on, Steve, let's go out. Man. We're gonna go, man, it's gonna be great. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'll serve God now. I'll serve God. Five times I just gave in to him. I just it just traps did crazy stuff dishonoring God. And finally, I had to realize, wait, time out. Here's, 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 here's when you really start winning. It's when you start becoming aware of the traps of the enemy. I said, time out, time out. I say, everybody say trap. You see the trap. Okay, he's setting a trap for me. I'm not going down that trail. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 26, that you may come to your senses and escape the snare, the trap, of the enemy. By the way, one of the number one traps, that y'all want to know what one of the number one traps of the enemy is that we can all fall prey to? It's unforgiveness and bitterness. Oh man, you you talk about the number one trap. You get disappointed in a relationship, watch your heart, guard your heart. It's a trap. Come on, are you with me? You want to squeeze out your spiritual life? It's a trap. The Bible says we can escape the trap of the enemy. When we come into the trap, we actually get taken captive to do his will. Remember, the enemy has a plan for our life and God has a plan for our life. I know this talk's a little bit heavy for particularly new people. It's like, whoa, what is all this cosmic warfare that's going on? Man, this is like heavy. I thought this was about Jesus. It is about Jesus. It's about walking with Jesus effectively and victoriously. But this isn't heaven. Are y'all with me? This is not heaven. And by the way, there's a lot that's going on around us that we need to be aware of and affected. By the way, spiritual warfare is not just important for you to understand, but it's important for you to understand, not just for you, but also for others. How many other people in your life are being falling prey to the traps of the enemy? Are you with me? I'll close with this scripture, Ephesians chapter six. Now here's what I'm gonna do. I've got about six or seven minutes. I'm gonna read a portion of scripture. It's a little bit lengthy. I'm gonna highlight some pieces. I'm gonna have you out of here in seven minutes. I'm only gonna whet your appetite, why? Because I want you guys to dig deeper into the concept of what Paul's talking about of how we can win in spiritual warfare. Here's what Paul said, I'm just continuing Ephesians six. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. We've gotta participate in this. By the way, God doesn't put the armor on for us. You with me? You wouldn't walk out of the house in the morning unclothed. That would be weird. Well, why would we walk out of the house in the morning unclothed spiritually? Ill equipped spiritually. Paul says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. By the way, four times, watch the word stand here withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth. All right? This is important your ways with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm talking about how we should be dressed in the battle that we're in. Paul's talking, above all, taking up the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In other words, Paul says, we've gotta be equipped. We've gotta be spiritually dressed every day. Five defensive, pot, five defensive pieces, one offensive piece. Let me name them very quickly. Helmet of salvation. It's important that we're putting on, what, how do we do that memorizing scripture, putting the mind of Christ on each day. I'm not talking about getting saved each day. I'm talking about being equipped each day. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? Our heart is guarded from the condemnation of the enemy. The devil reminds you of your past. No, 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 no. I'm not who I was. I'm a new person in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Second Corinthians chapter five. He who knew no sin, he made to be sin for us. That's Christ. In other words, here's how it works. God the Father put our sin on Jesus and he put Jesus' righteousness on us, it's called the divine exchange. Our heart is guarded by the reality that when the enemy tries to condemn us of our past, listen, we are, we are guarded by the righteousness of Christ. That's a piece of armor we've got to put on each day as we go out throughout the day. The breastplate of righteousness, another piece that the, Paul talks about is the shield of faith. Faith comes by what, say it. Man, y'all gotta be stronger in that. Faith comes by what, say it. Romans 10, 17, Paul says faith comes to you by hearing. In other words, and hearing by the word of God. When you hear the word of God, that's why it's important. Have your automobile, your car, filled with preaching tapes and and worship music. Have your home filled. Why? Because faith comes to you by what you hear. By the way, how does doubt come? By what you hear. By the opinions of men, by social commentators that are clueless and have no biblical worldview. I'm not going to let them put their spirit on me. Full of, un- full of unbelief and doubt, no biblical reference. I'm gonna, I wanna listen to what is godly, what is true, what is right, what is profitable, what's gonna put faith on the inside of me. That's what Paul said. Paul says, you got a shield of faith. I wanna lift that thing up, man. I'm not gonna let that fear No, in- no, 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 no. Paul also says there's a belt of truth that we gotta put on. We gotta, matter of fact, one of our pastors walked in one day, we had an executive team meeting, and I said, Pastor Dave, dude, that buckle is huge. He had a buckle. I'm telling. I'm not exaggerating. It was this big. I'm really not. I'm, sorry, I'm like Dave. Like seriously, that thing is like overwhelming. I'm like, what is it for? He goes, no purpose. There's no purpose for that. He goes, matter of fact, that buckle is no purpose. He goes, I just like it. And honestly, my belt doesn't have a purpose. He goes, these jeans fit perfectly. You're wearing a buckle for show and a belt for show. Just want to make sure I get that. But how many of you know spiritually the belt of truth is not just for show? It actually holds up the whole thing. We base our life on something that is objective, that is truth, listen, that is verifiable. We stand upon a solid rock of the foundation of the word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but God says my word will not pass. How many are grateful your lives can be based upon that which does not shift? That which does not change? And by the way, listen, culture shifts every day. Listen, things that used to be bad are now good. Things that used to be good are now bad. They're switching to price tags every day. Clueless, they have no idea what's going on. Every day, everything changes. Just wait a year. Remember as kids, milk was good when you were like six, but when you were eight, it wasn't. That's culture today. Ideologically, philosophically, why? Because they're basing everything on their emotions, cultural mores and feelings and not objective truth. Man, don't get me started preaching. All right, let me go on. (laughs) Shoes of peace, gospel shoes of peace. We stand in the peace of God. The righteousness of God, the peace of God. One of the greatest testimonies to a dying and falling world is that our lives don't fall apart when our world does. That we can walk in the peace of God even when our environment's not peaceful. Let me give you this last thing. The last thing he says is that we've got to hold up each day. I'm talking about how to win victoriously in spiritual warfare. Watch this. Every day, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. All right, let me ask you a question. Listen. What is the sword of the spirit? Everybody say it out loud. The count of three: one, two, three. Say it. The well, not exactly. The Bible itself is not the sword of the spirit. Guy came to me one time. He goes, Pastor, I was struggling last night. I just went and got my Bible. I just laid it on my chest. I said, That's good. I said, But the Bible's not Ben Gay. It doesn't draw out evil spirit. Just lay it on your <laughs> chest. Are y'all with me? It's not just that. I mean, listen, you can have your grandma's Schofield Bible, 500 pounds on your coffee table. That's not, the devil's not, it's the Bible getting in your heart, coming out of your mouth that becomes a sword of the spirit. It's, it is written. Everybody say, it is written. How did devil, how did Jesus defeat the devil in the wilderness? He didn't think him away. He spoke him away. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Come on. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It's speaking the word, speak the word. Speak the word. It's the sword of the spirit. Cuts the lies of the enemy. Pushes back hell. hell. Hell is nervous about a believer that speaks the word. I'll give you this last concept. We do not fight. Here it is. We do not fight for victory. But we fight from a position of victory. When Jesus Christ defeated the devil at the cross, look what Colossians says. Here's what he said. Having disarmed principalities, when Christ died on the cross... Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, what? The cross. When we fight, let me tell you what our, our fight is. We're enforcing the victory of Calvary. We're standing on the word of God. We're speaking who Christ has made us to be. We're speaking who God is. We're not, listen, we're enforcing the victory of Calvary. The enemy's greatest strategy is number one, to try to get you to to think there's not a devil, or number two, to try to get you ill-equipped related to him. You have authority in Christ over the works of the enemy. And the moment you realize that as a Christian, wait a minute, I don't have to take this. I don't have to yield to this. I'm not gonna succumb to this. I'm strong in God, in God strong in Christ. I know who I'm in Christ. At the cross, Jesus defeated hell, death, and the grave. I can stand in the authority of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Devil, take your hands off. Listen, take your hands off my mind. Take your hands off my children. Take your hands off my future. Take your hand. Listen, Listen, I resist you. Submit to God, James 4, 6, James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee. Why? He flees from the Christian who knows who they are in Christ and that they can be victorious in the spiritual battle. Father, I just thank you that you're teaching us as a people. You're teaching us the wonderful love of Jesus, yes, the foundation of our faith, but also that we're in a, we are in a battle, and we do not have to succumb to the strategy of the enemy, but we can stand strong. We can stand strong, not based upon our strength, but as we put on your equipment, as we get dressed in the spiritual armor that you've called us to walk in, we can live victorious over the works of hell. Lord, I bless your people this day